Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Hello, welcome. Thanks uh, for joining us this Palm Sunday. Uh, you guys ever done the traditional Palm Sunday where you wave palm branches? Anyone done that before? Yeah. I used to do that all the time in California, which was a lot easier because uh, there was palm trees right outside. Uh, my dad, who's a pastor, used to preach on Palm Sunday. We always used to wave the palm branches, and he would not have to prepare very hard because he would just walk outside and cut some palms off our, our backyard. So uh, I couldn't do that today, so you don't have any palm branches. Um, but we are still going to talk about that. We are in the middle of our Easter series. We're kind of preparing our hearts and minds for the resurrection of our King Jesus. And uh, so that's what we're going to be reflecting on. Uh, and we started off last week with Passover. Alex did a great transition from where we were in our Divine Narrative series, where we were talking about God's story and Moses and bringing the people out of Egypt. And then uh, Alex talked about Passover, uh, which is the festival to remember all that God had done and how he had provided and protected them and, and uh, help them be freed from slavery. And so God, uh, that they were called to remember that through this festival of Passover and, and to celebrate with a dinner and, and recall what they had done. And uh, all of Israel was supposed to go back to, all the Israelites were supposed to go back to Jerusalem to celebrate this together in Jerusalem. And that's actually what Jesus came to Jerusalem to celebrate when he ultimately would be hung on a cross. And so he came to Jerusalem. And what we celebrate today, Palm Sunday, what we're reflecting on is Jesus coming back to Jerusalem and people waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna. And then later this week, we reflect on Jesus's last supper, the the Passover dinner that he celebrates with his disciples. Uh, We're actually going to have a service. uh, It's a communion service on Thursday night at 630. We're going to come here. We're just going to worship and we're going to reflect on what he what he talked about with his last with his disciples on the last supper, and we're going to take, take communion together. Uh, so this is gonna, it, it's going to be a very self reflective service where you get an opportunity to just come and sit and and remember what Jesus has done for you uh, on Thursday, and then Good Friday is something we re- we reflect on Jesus's death and his sacrifice, and next Sunday we celebrate Easter. No spoilers. I'm not going to tell you what happens that day. You know, so you can come and and find out for yourself. All right. Um, yeah, so that's what we're going through when we're talking about Passover. And one of the things as I was preparing for this sermon that I've been, I've been listening to podcasts and doing some other stuff, uh, and one of the things that has been repeatedly coming up is this new thing called AI. Have you guys heard of it? Yeah, yeah right? A lot of tech companies are, are now taking this new AI and, and trying to incorporate it into their system. The first people were Microsoft using it with Bing, and, and now everybody's got to have AI. It's a new, new cool thing. Uh, and it's actually pretty useful. I don't know. Has anyone used it? Like, used it a little bit? All right. So there's a few conformists. That's good. Um, I, I, I'm one of them. I've been trying to figure out what the heck this is, and so I've been typing with this chat, GPT, um, and I've been, I've been typing in and asking it to do a few things for me, like I had to write up a brief description for Passover, and I was like, I don't want to do all the research of all this stuff, so I asked it to do it for me, and it gave me a pretty good list. Uh, I backed it up, probably. Uh, so anyway... I, I, I looked through it, and it was pretty handy. Uh, if you've been noticing that Alex, our, our, one of our other pastors here, he's been uh, sounding a little bit smarter, it's because he's been running everything through a filter of ChatGPT, and it's telling him how to make things sound better. So if you're getting an email from Alex, like, wow, Alex, you sound really smart. That's why. Um, sorry to call you out, Alex. Uh, but yeah, so we've been we're using it a little bit, uh, and I've been hearing more and more, and I thought, you know, I wonder how far this thing can go. 
So I asked ChatGPT, I said, please write me a sermon on Palm Sunday. And I said, please, and I've been saying please and thank you every time I ask it because, you know, you never know when these things take over. Uh, I want them to know I'm polite and uh, just make it sure. Um, but anyway, I asked it to please write me a sermon on Palm Sunday, and here it is. Dear brothers and sisters, today we celebrate Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. Palm Sunday is a day of joy and celebration. But it is also a day of reflection on the events that led up to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The story of Palm Sunday is a powerful one. The day marks Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Riding on a donkey while the people waved palm branches and greeted him with shouts and cheers of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. However, this joyous occasion was short-lived. Jesus knew what was to come. And he had already told his disciples that he would be betrayed, arrested, and crucified. This is why Palm Sunday is also known as the Sunday of the Passion. As we reflect on the events of Palm Sunday, we are reminded that Jesus' mission was not one of earthly triumph and glory, but one of sacrifice and redemption. He came to save us from our sins, to offer our salvation through his death and resurrection. We can learn Many lessons from Palm Sunday. Perhaps the most important is that we must be willing to follow Jesus even when the road ahead may be difficult and fraught with challenges. We must have faith, just like the people who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem with palm branches and shouts of joy. This Holy Week, let us reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and let us renew our commitment to follow him. Let us pray for the strength and courage to face the challenges that lie ahead, knowing that Through our faith in Jesus, we will emerge victorious. May God bless us all during this holy week and throughout our lives. Amen. All right, let's go. (laughs) No, I I still want to talk, but that was not bad, right? Not bad. Uh, I have a couple issues with it, but we'll get into that. Before we dive into this morning's sermon, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity uh, that you've given me. I just pray, Lord, that I can give it right back to you and ask that you speak to all of our hearts, um, speak to us as we read your word and and learn more from you. I pray, Lord, that you can speak through me and utilize this time and help us uh, give it over to you. Help us especially this week to focus in on what you've done for us. Um, It's really easy to kind of get through life, God, and I know that I myself am guilty of this all the time where I'd not... I'm not remembering and reflecting you enough, and I just pray, Lord, that this week uh, not be like that, um, that you confront me each and every day and remind me of how great you are and how awesome and loving you are, and um, just let this be a, a great week focused in on you. Um, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so my first issue with the chat GPT sermon is that there was no scripture in it. It quoted a little bit, but not really preaching from scripture. Uh, and this is something that I just want to make really clear. If, if you're going to a church and you're listening to a pastor preach a sermon, that sermon should be based on the Bible. Every sermon should be based on the Bible. Every sermon should be based on the Bible. Okay, Not, not sometimes, not every once in a while we get into the, into the Bible. Not even most of the time, all the time. When you're preaching, when someone's preaching a sermon, that person should be reading from the Bible first and deri- deriving the truth from it. 
Not preaching and telling you all the things that they think and then backing it up with the Bible. Preaching the Bible and then learning from it. Because you didn't come here to learn from anyone, any human being. You came here to learn from the Word of God. That's the point. That's what we're here to do. So if you're ever at a church and the the pastor takes forever to get into the Bible, has made a whole bunch of points or makes their point first and then uses the Bible to back it up, I'd reconsider where you're going. Um, Because it's important that we're focused on Scripture. Uh, and because of that, we're going we're gonna to actually look at this passage together. So we're going to look into John chapter 12, and we're going to look at the story that we're talking about here of Jesus entering Jerusalem. John chapter 12, verse 12 through 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out, went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So I'm, I'm reading from John's account. Uh, and so there's four, most people understand this, there's four different gospels, and uh, they have a little bit different perspectives, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a very similar perspective, and they're more focused on the chronology of Jesus' life and ministry. And so they, they follow a very similar pattern of the different stories. Now, they share different ones, and they have different perspectives, and it's still really unique and cool, which makes sense. I, I get some people that get, some, that get frustrated with the gospel sometimes, like, why don't they all say the same thing? Well, if I told four of you the same story, you'd all say it slightly differently, wouldn't you? And that's just kind of how this works, especially if you have years and Mark and Luke both are writing their gospels secondhand. They're, they're hearing stories and picking up stories from other people and writing it for the benefit of others. Uh, so, but Matthew and John, they both have a, a personal perspective and John happens to write his gospel later. He, he's got some time later on in his life uh, to, to spare, and so he decides to write the gospel a little bit later. And so that's why his story sounds a little different. And it, to me, it actually sounds really similar. When you read through John, it sounds, it sounds a lot like an older guy that has kind of confused some of the, the moments and how they happened, but has made some interesting connections because of it. Because he's not so focused and fixated on making sure all the stories line up chronologically, he's more focused on how they connect together. And so he starts to write the stories down, and as he's remembering, he's remembering other stories, and he's writing those things, and how they all connect together. And so that's like, it's one of those interesting gospels, so like, I love seeing John's perspective, because he's seeing all these different connections that you don't necessarily see in the other gospels. Uh, and, and he's very symbolic and, and uses a lot of, of high Christology, which means he's focused on glorifying Jesus and how epic Jesus is because he really loves Jesus. Uh, so I, I like John's account and I liked what he used here and how he described this moment in Jesus' life and in his ministry. Uh, I also like that 
he quotes these two passages. One of them, he's quoting from Psalm 118, uh, and that's what the people were shouting. The people were singing this psalm, uh, which is something that they would have done normally. It's, it's a Hallel psalm. So Psalms 113 to 118, the, the Israelites would have been singing these psalms very, fairly regularly. In fact, uh, one of the other festivals that all of Israel was supposed to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate is called Sukkot. Uh, and they still do this, and they celebrate, we call it the Feast of Tabernacles, and basically they would live in a tent for a week and sing these psalms, and they would praise God, and they would wave branches, and they would do these things to celebrate how God had provided for them, and they'd celebrate the harvest that they had just received. And so that's something that they would they'd focus on, um, and so they, all of Israel would have been very familiar with this passage. Um, and so he quotes that and explains, I wanted to read it. Let's, let's read it together, Psalm 118, and, and see how, well, it doesn't just tie in to, uh, it doesn't just tie in in that moment. You'll, you'll see what I mean by that in a sec. Psalm 118, and we're going to read 22 through 26. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. You see how that so well fits into Jesus and his ministry. And so when Jesus is riding in on the donkey, it's, it's really common for them to know these hymns. In fact, the, this psalm and, and the, the Hallel psalms are probably what Jesus and his disciples sing after Passover when it says they sang hymns together. These are probably the words they were singing. Uh, and so they're, he's coming in and they're shouting and they're, they're waving branches like they would do at Sukkot, but they're doing it now because of Jesus and they're celebrating him and they're shouting, Hosanna, Lord, save us, please save that's what that word means. And they're shouting it out. And uh, I love the reaction from the Pharisees from that. Did you catch it? Their, their, their reaction to this is the whole world has gone after him. We need to do something. It's, it's getting too late. Look, the whole world has gone after him. And I love that because they get it completely wrong. This isn't about the whole world going after Jesus. This is about Jesus going after the whole world. But anyway, um, so that's the, the other piece of scripture that John notes and quotes here, um, that he, he, I love that he writes this, that he, at this point in his life, he's like, you know, we didn't realize it then. A lot of the other gospels, they don't really point this out, but John tells us, we didn't really understand it then. We didn't know all that Jesus was doing. We didn't understand how he was fulfilling prophecy. We still didn't really understand. And you see that in the gospels, right? When, when Jesus is being taken, all the disciples are like, wait, what is going on? And then later they understand. And John is admitting to that right here, right now. We didn't know what he was doing, but now we understand. Uh, and so he, he points out that scripture had been pointing to Jesus riding in on a donkey, that this was to fulfill a prophecy made about Jesus that he didn't understand at the time, but now he does. Uh, and that comes from Zechariah, Zechariah 9, 9. Um, and so we're going to read, look at that together. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war houses from Jerusalem, and the battle, the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, 
Because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Zechariah is a, is a prophet um, towards the end of the New Testament and, uh, or the Old Testament, and he has an interesting book. His book is very difficult and confusing to understand. He has a lot of imagery, and you don't really understand how it all ties together, but from chapter 9 onward, it becomes very focused and clear that he's talking about a coming Messiah. And he, he's talking about how that Messiah will be eventually rejected. Uh, it's a, he's a good shepherd that will be rejected. And, and so uh, this comes from that. And so that's what Jesus is fulfilling as he is riding in on a donkey. Now, in the other Gospels, it explains that Jesus told his disciples ahead of time to go find the donkey, and they figured this out. John makes it kind of sound like, oh, and he, a donkey just appeared. And like you do, you just jump on it and ride into town. You know, like that's just what Jesus did. And so... Uh, but he's pointing out an important passage. And, and this is why it's always good to go back and look at the passages that they quote in Scripture, not just to see. Like you can see when you're reading through your Bible, oh, this is clearly a quote from something. It's always good to go back because there's more context behind it that you don't really understand. Like if you see the rest of that passage, it's explaining, Zechariah is explaining that what this is doing is symbolizing Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, not just because he's on a donkey, but because he's coming humbly. He's coming sacrificially. He's coming not as a war-driven king that's going to conquer and destroy. He's coming as a humble servant here to sacrifice himself. That's what Jesus is doing. He's here to free the slaves from the waterless pit. You see how that all ties in so well. And when John's quoting this, he's, he's quoting it so that we understand that it's, this is what it means, why Jesus is riding in on the donkey. He's riding in to fulfill this passage that lets us know that he's a humble, kind, peaceful king coming in to make peace, not to conquer and destroy. Uh, so that's, that's what we see in this passage. That's, that's the scripture for Jesus's entry into Jerusalem is the people shouting Hosanna and singing this psalm that they would have sung many times and, and shouting, Lord, save us. And this is to represent Jesus's entry into Jerusalem as humble and peaceful and sacrificial. And so this is, this is another reason why I don't necessarily like chat GPT's sermon. Um, and AI overlords, I'm not blaming you. So in the future, don't get mad at me. Um, but the re- what AI is doing is drawing based off of the internet what it can. And so the AI is constructing a sermon. As I asked it to write me a sermon on Palm Sunday, it's constructing it based on all the sermons that it has heard and can research. And so a lot of those sermons follow in a similar path. They tell the story instead of reading it and teaching about it. And then what they do is they have this call to action, this inspiring moment where we're all riled up and excited to go and change and do something. And that's what a lot of sermons do. And it's, it's, it's catchy. It's, inspir- it's inspiring. And that's why a lot of revivalist stuff has come out of that is because people are really motivated and excited about stuff, about this Jesus thing. And so it's, it's moving. But the problem that I have with it, the issue that I see, and I've seen it many times, and a lot of preachers and teachers do this, where it becomes kind of this rallying, excited, let me pump you up motivational speech that's focused on you, not on Jesus. And that's, that's the issue here. As we look at this, John is clearly pointing out that this is a humble and sacrificial Jesus peacefully coming into a town to, to die, 
to be a sacrifice for all of us. John is pointing out this Jesus that he, he, he specifically didn't ride in on a white horse there to destroy and conquer. He's, he's there to, to sacrifice for. And we as Christians will read that story and, and pastors and teachers will preach this and share how we are supposed to be better. And that's kind of where Chat GBT took that sermon. It's like, oh yeah, you saw what Jesus did, now go and do it. You're, you be good and you be strong and you can do this all on your own in your strength of your will and that's where the focus is. It's inspiring. It's uplifting. It'll get a crowd going, but is that really the message? I, I, I fixate on this a lot um, and I'm sorry if it becomes repetitive. I'm not that sorry, actually. You should learn this. Uh, but... This is, it's one of these important things because as a youth pastor for many years, I dealt with students where, and I, I was guilty of this myself, where God would do something epic in their life and they'd be so on fire, they'd cry and they'd confess their sin and be so excited about Jesus and so excited about the Holy Spirit and, and ready to do all these things and their immediate reaction as I would talk to them about it and counsel them and they'd be like, all right, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to stop doing this, I'm going to do this. And I'm like... Ah, like here was this epic moment and you made it all about yourself. Instead of just falling more deeply in love with Jesus, you're taking this moment and saying, okay, thank you, Jesus, I'm good now. I've got this. I can do this all on my own. And I'm guilty of this too. I would do this all the time. I'd go to camp, have this awesome experience with God, come back home and thinking I was going to take on the world and become the best preacher that ever was, which I'm close, right? No, (laughs) okay. Apparently AI can do better than me. But anyway, um, I would go through these moments and I'd be really excited and then I'd make it all about myself and then I'd fail. And thank God that I'd fail. Because over and over again, what that keep all those failures, all those struggles, all that time that I would fall short of the glory of God, you know what that did? It kept bringing me back to the feet of Jesus. And thank God he let me fail that many times because too often I was making it about myself. And as time went on, I think it slowly started to chip into my thick skull like, oh, this isn't about me at all. <laughs> this is about me just keeping my eyes on Jesus, looking full in his wonderful face, and all the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's, that's the point of this. I, I love the analogy of Jesus and Peter when he's walking on the water. Peter is looking at Jesus and he's walking on the water and yet he takes his eyes off and he sinks, Right? And that's, that's kind of our imagery here. Is as soon as we hear these stories about Jesus and we start to make them about ourselves and how we are going to be better and how we are going to accomplish things and how we are going to earn salvation and righteousness, I think of us thinking because we're, instead of looking at Jesus, looking at ourselves. And so that, that's, that's one of my issues. These self-motivating things, it's tempting. I'll tell you, it's tempting because it stirs up a crowd. It gets you excited. I, I can make you guys all happy and excited and pumped up, but you know what? That's not my job. I'm not here to pump you up. I'm here to help you keep your eyes focused on Jesus. This is all about him. And I believe that that's much better. Even if you don't like me after, that's okay. It's not really that okay, but it's okay, you know? What matters is that you focus on Jesus. The other part of that, the self-motivating thing, uh, is kind of like a coach, right? In the middle of a halftime show. That that's, that's what preachers and teachers do. They, they teach this stuff and they come in at halftime and they rile you up and get you excited to go beat the enemy. Let's go. Come on now, preach. That's what I'm talking about. See? I'm excited. Let's go win. 
We got we to gotta work together and we got to win. We got to fight. We got to conquer. It's kind of like a, a, a general too, right? Before a battle, like we got to go beat them and I'm getting you excited and riled up so you can go and win. And you know what it does? It turns them into the enemy. It makes it all about us versus them. We are the good guys. They are the bad guys. It turns people, instead of them into people that need salvation, they turn them people that are the enemies. They're evil. They are the obstacles. We have to overcome them. And I don't like this. I think we're seeing issues all around America where people are frustrated and angry at the church because they've been riled up by sermons like that. It's been all about us versus them. They need Jesus just as much as we do. And you won't have time to be focused on their sin if you're shouting, Hosanna, God, please save me. (laughs) Save us. Save all of us. We're all in the same boat and we all need Jesus. And we focus on that. We keep our eyes on Jesus and not on our own self and our own self-righteousness. Then we won't make it us versus them. We'll recognize them as just as guilty and faulted as we are. If you want a good example of what a crowd stirred up by that, what what that looks like and what that'll do, you don't have to look very far to what happens to Jesus later this week. We're going to look at Mark 15, 6 through 15. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So, this is what I see in this crowd. This crowd of people that had joined. So, we, ha- we have a crowd. The juxtaposition of these stories is, is crazy. That within less than a week, Jesus rides in on a donkey and a whole crowd of people is shouting, Hosanna! Save us! They're waving palm branches and praising him and, and laying their coats down. And then less than a week later, a crowd full of people are shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. What's the difference here? Well, we got one crowd of people stirred by people that have seen Jesus do something epic. He brought somebody back from the dead. They are recognizing that they all need salvation just like Lazarus did. And they are crying out to Jesus, save us, please save us. Hosanna, Hosanna. They're looking to Jesus as the Savior. And then we got another crowd, a crowd stirred up by religious leaders that didn't, they were self-righteous religious leaders that didn't think they need a Savior. They don't need salvation from some sin because they're, they're not guilty of it. They are better than others. And they don't like this Jesus that's telling everybody that everyone's equal and we're all sinners. And he's actually been calling them out the most for being judgmental and unhelpful. And so they stir up this crowd. And I'm sure there's probably some people that were, from, that were in both crowds. 
And they're stirring up this crowd to tell them to release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And there's people in the crowd that wanted Barabbas. I feel like that wasn't too hard for them to get. They wanted Barabbas. You know why? Because Barabbas was doing something about Rome. This government, this people that was oppressing them that they didn't like, that disagreed with them. Rome was being Rome. Rome was doing exactly what Rome was doing. That's just what Rome did. But the Israelites, they didn't like it. There's many Israelites that wanted them gone, wanted a, a Messiah that would come in in a white horse and destroy Rome. Come to conquer, not make peace. Come to fight and win, not sacrifice and be humble. So we got this self-righteous Pharisees that are stirring up this crowd that wants somebody to come in and fight for them, and so they want Barabbas. Because at least Barabbas fights. Rome doesn't want Barabbas back out there. He's killing people. But the crowd does, because at least he's fighting. This Jesus guy, what has he ever done? He's just talking with sinners, healing people. We don't want that. We don't want this salvation. We want Rome gone. So we've got these two crowds, and they're shouting two different things at Jesus. Hosanna, Lord, save us, and starao, crucify, crucify. And I think we, we read this story, and we think, oh, yeah, that happened then. I think it's still happening now. I have no trouble believing that if Jesus came to our world today and started hanging out with sinners, people that we regard as sinners, and he started loving them, forgiving them, caring about them, going to their house to eat dinner. I have no trouble believing there are plenty of religious leaders that would stir up crowds to shout crucify. Still the same. And the only way that we can help ourselves not be in that crowd, stirred up by these religious leaders that are trying to get us to kill Jesus, is to make sure that we're shouting the right word. Hosanna. Save us. You don't got enough time to shout both, you know? You're not going to be shouting crucify and Hosanna. You're going to be shouting, if you're going to shout Hosanna, you're going to recognize that this salvation you need isn't internal. We don't need this external salvation from this government or this world or those evil people out there. We need an internal salvation because we are guilty. So we shout, Lord, Lord, please save us. Or you could be in the other crowd that's shouting crucify because... He's not doing enough to overthrow the government that you don't like or not doing enough because he's not fixing all the external things around you. And he's, he's hanging out with sinners that you don't like and people that you think are evil. That's what we need to be reflecting on this week. What word are we shouting? There's one more uh, verse I wanted to read in Matthew. I was doing my personal devotion this week, and as I was reading through, this, this small little section stuck out to me, and I just wanted to, I felt like it, I felt like Jesus ahead of time was talking to his disciples with this kind of thing in mind. In Matthew uh, 16, verse 6, be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I thought, as I was reading that, I was, I was thinking about this sermon and thinking about, oh man. Jesus was, he knew. He knew what, what these religious leaders could do if they stirred up the crowd. And they've got this yeast. And it's kind of funny if you read through this part, like the, the disciples are a little like worried that Jesus is mad at them for forgetting the bread. 
And so he's like, oh, he's bringing up yeast because we forgot the bread. Uh, but he's telling them something important. You got to be careful and beware of these religious leaders that are stirring something up that shouldn't be. They're getting your focus and perspective askew. And, and you see it here in this, this passage where this crowd full of people that are, is praising Jesus' name and then they stir the crowd up to, to shout crucify. And I think that's still something we're struggling with today. I think that's still something that we're, we're dealing with we, and we gotta beware. Be aware of the yeast of religious leaders. We should be focused in on how Jesus came to save us and how how we are guilty of that and we need to be loving and humble and sacrificial like Jesus. That's the message of Palm Sunday. That's what we see in Jesus. We don't need to overthrow the government. We don't need to fight off all the people that are not in this group. They're not, not the good guys, the bad guys. We don't need that attitude. We need the perspective that we are all guilty and we need Jesus. We need salvation. Otherwise, we'll be stirred by these religious leaders and these motivational sermons that are trying to get us to fight, to win, to conquer. Jesus will, just so you know, Jesus will come in. He will win. He will conquer. That's not our battle. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love and live like Jesus did. And then remember what Jesus did this week. Reflect on what he did for us. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.